The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. After Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, amen. Please be seated. You know, the Holy Spirit is always at work here at St. Cecilia's, and I want to thank Claire for being sensitive to the Spirit, calling attention to the 1 Corinthians passage, which I'm preaching on today. So thank you. I was taught many years ago, wisely, I might add, as a priest, you should never read unsigned letters. I had this seminary professor who warned me that such letters were never helpful, they were never constructed, and only a coward, he said, and that was putting it nicely, would send an unsigned letter in the first place. He told us all, if you're smart and healthy and connected to Jesus, just toss those letters in the trash immediately, pay absolutely no attention to them, but I couldn't help myself. (laughs) This was years ago, and things were going really gangbusters at Trinity Church in Houston. I mean, the place just seemed to be on fire. It was growing like crazy. We had just created this chapel filled with world-class art that got the attention of major art museums. The music was diverse and beautiful like it is here. Even the neighborhood was booming midtown, The Continental Club from Austin had just moved in a block away, a sure sign that God had called me there. (laughs) The Breakfast Club had just opened up on the same block, serving chicken and waffles, praise the Lord. I mean, the whole church, it seemed, even the high church, smells and bells, Anglo-Catholics, we're all starting to sing James Brown tunes every Sunday morning. I feel good. I don't know why I opened that letter. Why I proceeded to read it in its entirety. All I know is that I did open it and I read, Reverend Miller, you are so pathetic. 
And it went downhill from there. <laughs> now, let me just say that perhaps the poor soul that penned the letter may have some issues. The truth is, I know myself, my warts, my foibles, my failures and all, and I know that I am sometimes pathetic. I decided that I would use that letter as my text for the sermon the next Sunday. I figured it would be a wonderful opportunity to share with people I loved who loved me back how unhealthy people engage in unhealthy communication. And I have to tell you, we had a lot of fun with that letter that Sunday. Not the author's intent. When I got to the part in the sermon where I quoted the letter and I said, you are so pathetic, the whole congregation responded in unison, amen. <laughs> My best friend was sitting on the first row. He stood up and shouted, Preach! Preach! The choir broke out into a sevenfold amen, an eight-part harmony, as if to put an exclamation point on it. You see, that was a community who knew the truth about themselves. We didn't need a critic pointing out our weaknesses and shortcomings. Our own inner critics... We're doing a fine job with that, thank you very much. And between the inner critic and the outer critics, between the identities imposed on us by others, by our own bandwagon loyalties, maybe even by our own psychological insecurities, sometimes we're not exactly who, what, or how we are. We don't really know which voice to listen to as we attempt to define and understand ourselves. Do we listen to those demeaning voices? Demean sounds like demon, that voice that comes from a false god and aligns with the false self, that voice that speaks of who we are not at our core, the way that God made us. The demeaning, even demonic voice, the one that we hear putting ourselves down, beating ourselves up, sending us back to bed and making us sick? Or do we listen to the distracting voice, all of those identities that even when taken collectively don't really define who we are at our core? Sometimes those voices can actually be helpful for understanding who we are. For example, on the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFJ, and I needed to know that, and so did Sandy. <laughs> Last week, we spent some time with the Enneagram. I thought I was a seven, but it turns out I'm a three. Who knew? Or all of those cultural or chosen identities, such as I am Jewish, I am a Texan, I am a Kansas City Chiefs fan. These may be helpful for understanding ourselves, but still all of those voices are not the sum total of who we really are and how we are seen by our loving creator. They do not tell the whole story about ourselves. Now those demeaning voices, well, those are just wrong. And if Jesus is around, 
he is going to cast that demon right on out of here. The distracting voice can be helpful, but it can also divert us from understanding our, our deepest identity. But you see, those are not the only voices. There's another one. It's the divine voice. This is the voice that Jesus heard and spoke. And the followers of Jesus, like Paul and like those of us gathered here this morning, can still hear if we're listening to the voice that matters. Another wise seminary professor once told me, it is none of your business what other people think of you, but it is your business what God thinks of you, which is enough to bring your unique self into this world to create and call you a child of the Most High. That is the identity that makes all the difference. It took him many years, but Paul finally heard that voice, and Paul was very clear about himself that even though he had assumed many identities over the course of his life, and some of them had been pathetic, but some of them had been prophetic. And he finally, only, and he finally understood the only identity that transcended all of the others, that he had abundant life in Jesus. So he could be a Jew around Jews. He could be a Gentile around Gentiles. He could assume many identities. He could relate to any and all people. He really could become all things to all people if those identities helped him share with them that most important understanding of ourselves, that Jesus loves you. For Paul, that was the only message he cared to share because he knew that that was the only message that could lift somebody up and set them apart and save them and give that person purpose and meaning and self-awareness above everything else. Sam Loudermilk is a substance abuse counselor and recovering alcoholic who has, shall we say, a very bad attitude. Loudermilk is the name of a wonderful television series that Sandy and I recently discovered that chronicles his adventures and, as often, his misadventures in living. Now, one problem is that Sam is as funny as he is judgmental, and sometimes his sarcastic judgments are spot on, and sometimes they completely miss the point and the person standing in front of him. What Sam really needs, more than deflect or distract or demean others, is to look at himself in the mirror. There's one incredibly memorable scene in which Sam, who lives in Seattle, the hippest city in America, encounters two young bearded hipsters who perhaps are trying a bit too hard to assume an identity that makes them feel, I don't know, hip. And here's how the dialogue unfolds. Sam, hey, maybe you guys can settle a bet for me. Bearded hipster one, sure. Sam, I got a buddy who says that Gettysburg was more deadly than Appomattox, okay? 
Now, I tried to tell him that despite its prevalence in the cultural mindscape, Gettysburg is actually the less deadly of the two. Am I right? Hipster too. How should we know? Sam, well, because you're Civil War reenactors, right? <laughs> I mean, th there's no reason to have beards like that in this day and age. Hipster too, we are not Civil War reenactors. Sam, oh, I'm sorry, I, I saw the itchy flannel shirts. Oh, you're lumberjacks. <laughs> Hipster one, no. Time travelers, you're time travelers. Hipster two, we're musicians, blank, blank. <laughs> Sam, well, I just hope the band is called the Time Traveling Lumberjacks of the Confederacy. <laughs> Hipster one, blank, blank. <laughs> Hipster two, that's actually a pretty good band name. <laughs> Sam walking away, you're welcome. <laughs> now that scene is as provocative as it is funny because maybe the hipsters really are hip. Maybe that's who they are. Maybe their external expression is simply a manifestation of what God truly created them to be, or maybe not. Maybe they're just trying to fit in or blend in or stand out or put on an identity that does not correspond to who they really are and how they are really made. Then again, maybe Sam just needs to use all that energy he devotes to his witty put-downs and obnoxious judgmentalism on those unlike himself and just go a little deeper within himself find that soul that he's been obscuring with his deflective sarcasm. As abrasive and critical, as unfeeling as Sam sometimes appears to be, you get the sense, in fact, you know that underneath all that crusty exterior, there is a soft spot that would welcome some good news, such as the God of that church, where his recovery group meets, is also the God who made him so unique and so funny and can also heal his hurt, transform his heart, and fill his emptiness with an overflowing grace. On television and in life, there is always hope for a new season and a new plot twist for each of us. Just a few Sundays ago, some of you may have noticed, we had a very special visitor. She actually lowered our demographic medium by quite a few years and turned out and visiting with her, she's a singer, of course. She would come to St. Cecilia's, the patron saint of musicians, and she's from Louisiana, Sandy's home state. Turns out she has a few fans, like... 20 million. Her name is Lauren Daigle. I've admired her for a really long time, and one thing I've admired in addition to her extraordinary singing ability is that she just seems to be one of those people who is comfortable in her own skin. She seems to be okay with being true to herself. She seems to know who she is, who made her, who gifted her, who called her, who loves her. I remember several years ago hearing all of this criticism about her. 
when one day during the pandemic, she happened to be riding her bicycle back home to the Maroney. There was an outdoor worship service and Christian concert on the edge of the quarter. People recognized her, asked her to get up on stage and sing a few tunes, and she was kind enough to do that. She got back on her bike and rode home to the Maroney. Here came the criticism. They were swift, just like they had also been that day she appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show. When she shared her story, she shared her music, she shared her life with Ellen and her audience, a different audience than those who had been attending the concert. It was a different group of critics, but they all piled on disapprovingly. I'll bet she got some unsigned letters. <laughs> but it didn't faze her, because I believe that she knows deep within herself the only truth, the only identity that will get you all the way through this sometimes cruel world and beyond, that she is a child of God, beloved and called. Lauren, who's a terrific songwriter, puts it this way in her words. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I'm falling short and when I don't belong. You say, I am yours, and I believe, I believe what you say of me. So do I. I believe it's true, and that God says it of me and of you.
See.